Hello, welcome back to the Pit Stop Podcast. I'm Jordan Dyler Coltman. I'm joined again by Tyler Walzak. And for another week, we are without Braden, but that's okay. There's lots to talk to, and it leaves more space for Tyler and myself. Tyler, we had another um, back-to-back two-race weekends here in North America, Austin a week ago. And then this weekend, we found ourselves in Mexico City. A very exciting weekend there. Uh, lots going on, on and off the track. Obviously, uh, we talked about last week, the, the two championships had been decided in Austin. We had... Um, well, I mean, Max had already previously won back in Japan, but the, the constructors championship went to Red Bull. So Red Bull officially the two, uh, uh, you know, double, double champions this year, but there was more history to be made in Mexico. Verstappen winning, uh, put him up into, um, you know, alone at the top of the all time, uh, records for, uh, most wins in a season at 14, surpassing, uh, former Red Bull driver, Sebastian Vettel. And, um, one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time, Michael Schumacher, who accomplished 13 races in 2004, but that was not the only record that Max also broke by achieving 416 points. So far this season, he moved past rival Hamilton and his 2019 record of 413 points. So he now also holds the record for most points in a season to be fair, more races continuing to see the schedule get bigger and bigger. Nonetheless, very dominant and continue to see max dominant. It was a dominant race. Um, we had some interesting strategies, but for the most part, Max had it and never really looked back. Obviously the fairy book ending fairy tale ending would have been for Sergio Perez to get a champ or to get a win at home. That wasn't going to happen for me. It was a, almost an uneventful race in some ways, but I know you kind of feel differently. Uh, overall, what did you, what did you make of the Grand Prix in, in Mexico city and, and sort of the weekend at, at, at large? So I, I think I've talked about this before and I'll, I'll briefly talk about it again. Um, or I'll talk about it again for 45 minutes. Uh, this is our platform, but um, I enjoyed the race a lot. And I know that even the announcers, when they're saying it's like, ah, oh, this hasn't been a very good race. It's been kind of, you know, like not boring, but very, I don't want to say basic um, because there wasn't a lot of drama. And I disagreed with that right away. I don't think, I think their implication was that there was not a safety car or a red flag or anything that would get these cars piled back up together. So it kind of, everything was getting extended at a certain speed. Um, I am the very much a firm believer that you do not need a safety car to enjoy this sport. That's one of my problems with the sport sometimes is that everyone relies on a safety car or hopes for a safety car. I think we talked about this three races ago, four races ago. Um, when strategies were starting to depend on safety cars, which is okay. That's fine. That is part of the sport. But when the announcers specifically and other viewers are watching and they're not getting entertained because there wasn't a safety car, I think you're not paying attention to the correct things. And I enjoyed this race a lot because I thought that this was very much a Mercedes Red Bull race. Ferrari never really had a leg to stand on here. They're never really in it. So it was the pace of the Mercedes and the Red Bulls that were actually driving the entertainment of this race. Now, what happened in it was that Mercedes went to the hard tire. They made a decision that they thought that would last longer and warm up towards the end so that their car would be faster. Didn't work out. It ended up that Max was able to hold on to that medium tire a little bit longer than what they thought they could in terms of degradation of those tires on the mediums. 
and he lasted to the end of the race and it was just faster and the hards weren't warming up and they weren't working for either Hamilton or Russell. Unfortunate, but a decision that they made where they thought, Hey, this is, we don't really have the pace to win, but we could make a decision right now that could benefit us by not having to do two stops. I understand that strategy is that you, this entire season, you have not won a race. So you have to think outside the box. What can we do that is going to give us maybe an advantage? Now it might also, and it did backfire. They didn't have the pace, but they weren't going to win this race on mediums. We know that now because Max put the mediums on and went, but what they could have done and what they did do was put the hard on and hope that Max has to make another pit stop because then they win this race. So I understand why Mercedes did it. What I, what I thought was frustrating during the race was both Hamilton and Russell not being happy with the tires once they were on. Listen, guys, you they made a decision. It's not like Ferrari where the decisions are always wrong and your drivers are frustrated with it. This is Mercedes. They've been very good at strategies throughout the last eight years and even longer. So they made a decision that said, hey, we're not going to win this race on mediums. Let's go to the hard. Hope we can make this a one-stop and Red Bull does a two-stops. I get that. So there's no point bitching and moaning about it for 30 laps when you made a decision to try to win and you are now hoping something happens where Verstappen loses traction and doesn't crash, but needs, needs to switch his tires. That's how you win. So I, I respect that. I get that. That's what made this race entertaining to me was that maybe Verstappen would have to, because you have to wait those 25 laps to see if he's going to pit again. And then when he didn't, that was like, okay, well decision didn't pan out, but I get it. I understand it. And I, to me, that was the race again. And, and it was also nice to watch some of these other drivers start passing people and making a race out of it, which we knew. And we've been saying that you have to start looking at in these next two races, specifically next three races, including this last one, you have to let's watch get, the middle of the field. Let's get to them in a second. Cause you're right. There's some, there were some great um, battles all the way down uh, the lineup, but let's, let's just, let me just jump in on the Mercedes thing for a moment, because it was a big part of the storyline of the whole weekend. Mercedes, uh, I think even surprised themselves a little bit with the pace that they had found at altitude here. Um, a lot of people expected that if the Mercedes was going to try to get a win this season, their best chance with the remaining races was going to be in Austin. Obviously that didn't work out for them again, you know, a good race, but, but it was never really in the cards for them. Um, I don't know if they came into Mercedes quite, or pardon me, into Mexico city, quite expecting what they found, but all of a sudden they had this pace that was there and you look through all of the practice sessions and it was like serious pace. And obviously in qualifying, it really did look, for a time there, like Lewis and, and Russell both had a good shot at pole and barring a bad final lap from uh, Russell, he, he very well could have put himself on pole. Regardless, they, they lock out two and three in the starting grid and it's probably their best start of the season. The, everything's looking their way. Um, and as you say, you know, they made a decision and clearly that decision strategically was made prior to the race. The whole point of starting on the opposite tires to pretty much everyone else in the top 10 um, was based on a, uh, a strategy call that was made about looking at how they could, you know, have the pit stop benefit them. However, what I would criticize them for not, I agree with you. I think once the decision was made, they needed to just get in line and deal with it. The part of the decision I don't like 
is that you have two drivers, you're trying to get a win. Why are they both just on the same strategy? You had an yeah. opportunity to push back against whatever Red Bull ended up doing by splitting your strategy, right? Even if you both start on the mediums, you know, Russell was quite clear he was feeling good on those tires. They could have left him out there for yeah. another five, six laps. We watched Alonso do it and we watched Ricardo do it, who we'll talk about in a second, push those mediums well past what their sort of Pirelli recommended um, lifespan was, and it benefited both of them, Ricardo the most, when he was able to go to the softs. And I, I, I wonder what we could have seen if Russell had had the faster tire on at the end, because he was in, you know, he was in the chase position. I think Lewis, they were worried about track position and that's fine. But um, when you're the second car I don't know, I, I think Mercedes will probably be kicking themselves looking back over this race at the missed opportunity that was there for them, considering mm -hmm. the pace they had. And I think that's one of the ways they could have maybe turned that into something. So yeah. I don't know, maybe some learning there from a team that has dominated in so many ways and is now kind of figuring out how to chase because they're probably going to still find themselves chasing Red Bull uh, into next season. Um, and so this is a good opportunity for them to continue to develop. I completely agree. I do think that in that scenario, the best case would be to split the strategies. If you, if you know that Hamilton's going hard, why not put Russell on there, especially when he's begging for it mid race. It's just, you're right. That, that should have been what they did. Um, but once the decision's made, yeah. even if those guys are complaining the entire time, what value do you get by coming in the pit again and putting mediums? You've just, yeah. then you've just given up any chance of Red Bull, maybe going down on their medium tires. So, yeah. And I mean, they did allow um, Russell to pit very late to get that extra point uh, of the fastest lap, which, you know, some people would say, well, what does that really matter? You know, in the grand scheme of things, but one point could be what defines, you know, he's fighting right now for second place in the championship. Um, and, 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 you know, being, being as tight as we've seen formula one in the last couple of years, you know, this could come down to one, one point overall or whatever. And, and so, you know, uh, that was, a, I guess they knew they had the window and they took advantage of it. So, but let's talk about some of the other drivers because we have lots of well, stories. Hold on. Well, I got one more thing to say about okay, that. Okay. 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 Is as much as I blame the drivers for being like, Hey, just shut up at this point, because this is the decision that was made. Why can't the guys, the, like the pit bosses and the directors and the guys managing the cars and talking to them, why can't they just say, Hey, we made a decision to go hard, hoping that Red Bull has to pit again. It didn't work out. We apologize, but this is where we are now. We can't bring you in again. Why can't they just say that? Yeah. We don't know everything that's said on the radios. We don't hear it all. I that's think true. that there is some element of, of, um, television drama in terms of what's selected to go out there. I think we're getting parts of the, the stuff that helps with the, the, the feeling that these drivers are upset maybe more so than they really are, but you know, they're competitive guys and um, the way that those teams communicate with them might be um, yeah. Might be a little different than what we're, what we're privy to, I guess. Maybe I'm wrong, yeah. but it feels, it feels that way. I, I have a feeling there's a lot more being said than we're hearing um just based on what we do get uh so as i said let's jump to some of these other drivers um there were some great stories we're, i don't feel like there's much to say about ferrari other than the fact that they're kind of finishing this season on a bit of a whimper like it's just they've uh, they've clearly turned their attention to next year once the championships were lost uh but at this point it doesn't even look like they're really defending second very well because mercedes is still r running running at them and it yeah, I mean, I, I feel like at this point, seconds is Mercedes to have if they if they have two more good weekends and they 
don't seem to be showing any signs of pulling back. So, but the driver I want to talk about just outside those Ferraris, because he was obviously driver of the day, but moreover, I think he was just <laughs> one of the most exciting parts of today's race because he was the one guy who really did something different strategically. And it actually worked in for what his race was, uh, you know, his whole career, he's been an overtaking just fiend. One of those guys that when he was in better cars was able to make overtakes really, really stick. And he, he looked like vintage Ricardo. So Daniel Ricardo finishing seventh, um, getting six very important points for McLaren and for a team that again, is also in a huge fight with Alpine. Um, and obviously it helped that, that, one of the uh, Alpines wasn't able to finish, but for, for Ricardo, I would argue probably his best race this season. Um, certainly, oh, results, easily. you know, he, he just easily. He looked very comfortable and, and the, the different strategy really paid off. I enjoyed him. And I enjoyed the race. It's, it's funny that Braden's not here to talk about yeah. this, this race, because this is his guy. This is his team. It was easily Ricardo's best race of the year. It was vintage Ricardo. It was fun watching him race again. Now let's not forget that he pushed Stroll out of the way. True, and he did take a penalty for it. Five. He did. He took a 10-second penalty, but the best, the thing, he took the 10-second penalty, and then he got 10 seconds ahead of the guy behind him. So yeah, he didn't lose great. any positions, and that was what what is so impressive about this uh, for Ricardo is that he was passing people. Yeah, you're right. Vintage Ricardo. It was awesome to see happen. Um, it was one of those moments kind of like Vettel had maybe like three weeks ago or two weeks ago where it was like, Oh, maybe, maybe he shouldn't leave or maybe he yeah. should have a car next season, but it's way too far and way too late to, for, Ricardo of course, to even be no, for that. sure. But, but it was definitely, uh, you know, if you're a fan of Ricardo or if you're a fan of this sport over the last few years, it was nice to see a guy who yeah. is clearly struggling show that a little bit of what had made him special earlier in his career. You know, Absolutely. there were talks when he came in uh, as there had been about a lot of young guys, but you know, he was sort of billed as this could be a future world champion. And had it not been for circumstances at Red Bull being different, he would have probably been their number one guy. They just happened yeah. to have, you know, a, a, the, the, the prodigal son in, in Verstappen coming up behind him, And they ended up in the same place at the same time in the same car. And, it, and he was the, the guy on the out. So, but I enjoyed it. I was glad I got to see it one more time this year. And, and obviously he's got two more races. There's something about that fight with McLaren and Alpine that just feels like it's going to come down to that last race still. And they're, and they're just going to keep pushing each other really, really hard, which is a lot of fun. Um, and I'm, I've been enjoying, uh, I've been enjoying that battle. You know, you, you, you say it all the time, but you know, like you have to look down the table for me, that's the first place I look every weekend after I've seen whatever the, the top teams are doing. It's like, all right, where's Alpine and, and, um, and McLaren lining up where, you know, how they qualify and then what's next, you know, who, how does that race turn out for them? And, and this was a great back and forth battle. I think at one point, you know, it was sort of Alpine, Alpine, McLaren, McLaren, and then they split each other. And then obviously Alonzo struggles do you want to talk about alonzo and uh and sort of you know his weekend because you know he was in the news both on the track and obviously off yeah um i'm drawing a blank as to off the track alonzo well he basically said that he believed that max verstappen's championships were more earned than Lewis Hamilton's because he believed Lewis Hamilton only ever had to compete against his teammate and he never really had competition outside of Mercedes. So he, he said that max was more of a champion than Lewis Hamilton seven times. What seven time champion. He claimed max Verstappen was more 
a more deserving and a, and a more true champion. So old rivalry is still bitter for Alonso. They, it was it was given to him last year. How can you be more deserving when you literally shouldn't have even deserved it? I yeah. hate Alonso now. I hate him. You've just made me hate Fernando Alonso. Yeah, it was a bit of a testy weekend for him for sure. What's his deal? Uh, tricky. Well, he I'm and glad that he, he and Lewis are, are old, old, old rivals all the way back from the McLaren days. Still, that's such a stupid thing to say because very petty, he, very petty. He's also saying that he wasn't even good enough to fight with Lewis Hamilton. Then, yep. So that's a stupid thing to say. But yeah, he. Uh, what lap did he go out on? It was I think twenty laps left or something like that. Engine just died. He pulled off yeah. to the side. He was able to get out of there. Um, he threw a little tantrum as he got up and banged the side of the wall and then waved to the fans and then held his hand, uh, his head in his hands. And God, why, what a stupid thing to say. All right. So let's, let's leave, let's leave him for a second. We've got more to talk about, but, but on the same subject, I, we, we, we've kind of dealt with Red Bull, but I wanted to bring them back for one more second. We'll talk about the penalty and all that nonsense in a second, but uh, the other the other Red Bull piece of this, I don't know if you noticed, but Red Bull had boycotted and may now for the rest of the season speaking with Sky Sports, which is obviously the main broadcast and it's the feed we get here in Canada uh, because they feel like Sky Sports has been um, sensationalizing the fact that, that uh, Lewis was quote unquote cheated out of the championship, which we both agree with. But there are yeah, so the rest that- of the racing world. They're so, just, they want them, everybody to just move on and they don't like that. That keeps coming up. And I'm sorry to tell you, but you watch the opening packages in, a, in two races time when we're back in Dubai, that'll be the story again. Oh my God. Yeah. As it should be. It's a year since we were there and it's a year since the debacle and it's going to come back up again, maybe three, four, five years from now, we'll stop talking about it. But until then, I'm sorry. It's part of the story. It's part of the narrative and we'll it will be followed again. Yeah. It will be following Max Verstappen his entire career. It's not going to be a four or five year thing. It is going to be his entire career. People are going to talk about that first championship he won because he did not win that first championship. So I don't care. Like this to me just makes them even more of the villain. Like, oh, no, like I don't like now we're just not listening to what people are saying. So I'm just not going to talk to the media anymore because they're picking on us. Like, no. You, if you want this to not hang over you anymore, give up the first championship, give it to Hamilton, and then go out and win seven the proper way. How about that? How about be go. those guys instead of the ones that are like, oh, I don't want to talk to Sky Sports anymore. Sky Sports, yeah. I'm surprised that Sky Sports, that this is allowed to happen because in every other sport, you have to go. Like It's a very famous quote by Marshawn Lynch in the NFL. I'm only here so I don't get fined was his answer for every question. I'm only here, so I won't get found. So how come Sky Sports can't find them? Like, I guess it's this Christian Horner just doesn't come on anymore and talk in the middle of the races because he's usually but Max would also not, Max it. is not also doing post-race interviews with Sky or pre-race yeah. interviews with and Sky. And this is a Max Verstappen thing. Who are we joking here? This is to of course, this is 100%. because Max Verstappen is a giant baby and his ego is so huge that he can't have something like this pick on him again. Like that's this is what that is. He is not mentally tough enough to deal with everything outside of a race car. I and this is why I brought it up because this I is knew what's that ha- this, this is like the, throwing like red meat to with Max Verstappen. Lewis Hamilton is so good at dealing with everything outside of his race car. Even when he was getting booed, 
in Mexico all weekend. He, at the end of the race said, it's kind of weird coming here and like getting booed, but Hey, I love this race. I love these fans. I understand why I'm getting booed, but Hey, what can you do? Like, I just, I'm happy to be here. That Max Verstappen wouldn't even talk and he won the race and people loved him. Like, come on. And give, give um, Sergio Perez some credit. I don't know if you saw the clip of it, but while Lewis was being booed in the post-race interview, you can see in the background, Sergio Perez asking the crowd, cut it off. Let, let stop, just stop doing this. Cause it's, you know, yeah. I think that there's at least a level of, of, of respect there recognizing this just, it's not a good look. Right. So uh, no, it's not. And you can also see the different relationships. So Max and Lewis clearly do not like each other. They will not talk to each other. Yeah. It's just that was evident yeah, that in the cool down rooms. It's cool evident room, at the yeah. end of races. And when Max was getting interviewed, as soon as he got out of the car, um, Perez went right over Lewis Hamilton and they had a little, Hey, good race, good race type thing going on. That does not happen with Max Verstappen. No, because Max Verstappen is giant baby. Yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be interesting now that he's got the legitimate title uh, to his name to see how next season goes, because I think that, you know, you'd expect it to go one of two ways. One, he, you know, kind of moves on beyond that original pettiness and sort of behaves like a champion. I have a feeling that's not how it's going to play out. I think that we're going to see now like the worst side of Max Verstappen. And we've already kind of seen it. If you recall a week ago uh, in Austin, when they had their, their pit stop error, I mean, that's the real Max Verstappen screaming and, and complaining and whining on the radio when something doesn't go his way. That's the real Max Verstappen as far as 100%. I'm concerned. 100%. And it comes out in those moments when he's not sort of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, falling back on the media training and, and sort of the putting his best, you know, uh, image forward or whatever. He has to be um, coddled. He is the same as like Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving. These guys have to be coddled. They don't know how to deal with that sports, there's there's no Kobe Bryant's out there. Like that's a different mentality that Max Verstappen has, and I don't know. Well, there's a there's a Kobe Bryant out there. His name's Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton. A lot of people don't like Lewis, and that's fine because Lewis is like Michael Jordan, like like uh, Kobe Bryant, as you said. I think it's similar to Tom Brady. It's the guys that know how good they are and don't need everyone else to tell them. Yeah. but they do take offense when other people don't recognize their greatness Yeah, because that they know the difference and they can see the difference. Now there's a difference between that confidence, that almost arrogance that comes with actual success that you see. I mean, it's tiger woods in his prime too. that, that, that level of, you know, we call it cockiness or we call it whatever those you, you earn that yes. by what you're able to do in his case on a racetrack. He's a seven time world championship. I'm sorry. I don't know what Alonzo's doing with his name in his mouth to begin with, yeah, to I be know. honest with you. The, but people who don't like Lewis in many ways, I think come from the school of, well, that level of dominance turns people off. That level of success turns people off. It's the same way people hated Tom Brady and do hate Tom Brady and hate the Patriots because they win. It's the same reason that people hated Michael Jordan for the only reason being they didn't want to just admit to what his greatness was in that moment that make that's that's universal across all sports right it happens and 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 the same reason why people were so quick and so took such joy in the quote-unquote sort of fall of tiger woods from grace Mm. again based on nothing he ever did on a golf course right all of that exactly his own doing you know but but never committed a crime 
you know, as far as we know, most of it is all just quote unquote morality and, you know, fidelity and all these things. I, I digress. The point being with, with Lewis, people don't like him because he, you know, he looks different. He behaves differently. Look, he's the only black guy there. He's the only guy with any real personality outside of these clean cut white, you know, Saxon people. And rich, truth- white, rich, white, young, young, rich, white men get the yeah. seats more than anyone else. 100%. In Formula One. And so when you're different and successful, people want to tear you down. And the yeah. big difference here is that look at how Lewis Hamilton handled Dubai or Dubai last year. Like look at the class and the sportsmanship, even in the most ab, like if there was ever a moment for a temper tantrum, if there was ever a moment for someone to lose their shit and, and behave like an absolute asshole, that would have been the moment because it was clear to everybody watching everybody present that what had just happened was a complete travesty, but Lewis Hamilton stood on the podium. You know, he, he, he behaved like a, a true English gentleman bit his upper lip behaved, shook hands, congratulated Max and said nothing out of turn, nothing against anybody in that moment. You heard a little bit of the frustration or confusion on the radio, but then that went away. Mm -hmm. And then he just went back to work. And, you know, he stayed off social media for the summer or whatever. But when he showed back up here, he was not looking to dig up old things. He wasn't he doesn't bring it up every week. The only people bringing it up is Red Bull. Yeah, they're literally the only ones bringing it up because they they don't like how Sky Sports. Listen, it is a thing. Everyone knew that we were going to be talking about it all. Our first podcast after it, we said this is going to be talked about every week for the next year because you can't get away from it. 100 percent. And and unfortunately, there's two people at Red Bull that need to have their personalities coddled in Christian Horner and Max Verstappen. Part of the reason they got rid of Daniel Ricciardo was because Max Verstappen wasn't able to handle a teammate who was very well liked, loved by fans, and was a good race car driver who technically was 1A on that team. So they had to ship Ricardo out and or not or just let him leave. That is who Max Verstappen is. He needs to be coddled. And this, if they think that this is going to go away because they don't talk about it, that's like when someone gives you a nickname that you hate. If you don't lean into it, that's your nickname for the rest of your life, whether you like it or not. The minute you accept it and go, ah, yeah, that's fun. It's cool. I love it. It's all good. Then it's not fun for people to talk about it anymore. It's not fun for people to give you that nickname anymore. You have to sometimes lean into this. This is a scenario where Max Verstappen knew that this was not going to go down well when he won that first championship. The best thing he could have done was come out and say, Hey, yeah, I this kind of won it in a weird way. I'd like to go out and win another. Not my one fault or whatever. Properly. I didn't make the yeah. decision. Like this is what happened. I know that it's going to be looked at this way, but I'm going to go win another one and get put this to bed. Well, that's not what he's saying. Instead, he's saying, "I'm not going to talk to you guys. Please don't yeah. talk to me because it hurts my feelings." Yeah, uh, no, a hundred percent, and it definitely shows the, the difference of those two characters. Anyway, look. We could spend all day on this one. We have pretty much, and we've we we spent a whole season doing it. We will continue to look. Max it ain't going away. Tyler's made that very clear. Yeah, I'm a, I I agree with it. But you know, let's let's just for a moment step back here. Any final thoughts as you look through what we saw here in Mexico? As I said, not a huge event driven race, and and I I do agree with you. Like that doesn't 
necessarily dictate whether or not a race is entertaining. I think there are certain races where the like a high event race, uh, incidents, safety cars, whatever, increases the enjoyment of a specific race just by the nature of how it affects mm-hmm. the race itself, you know. Um, but sometimes it's also just like on track incidents or on track um, events that make a, a race interesting. There wasn't a huge amount of overtaking and, and big lead or, you know, changes from guys uh, at the top of this. But as we said, like Ricardo made this race exciting, obviously Alonzo for a while was, was in it. And, and then when he, when he fell out, there was some of that. We had the incident obviously with uh, uh, Ricardo and Ricardo Sonata. And- Sunoda, that's what I was going to say. Sorry, for some reason I went back in my mind to the stroll incidents with with with. Uh, well, here let's talk. That's the Elder only thing LP. I have left to talk about um, in this race, I guess specifically is if I'm going to shit all over Verstappen and Red Bull, I'm going to have to shit a little bit on Gasly right now mm. because I believe that. So obviously, Pierre Gasly drove Lance Stroll off the track and should have given that spot back. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. So. Pierre Gasly has lost a little bit of his attention span for the rest of this season. A little bit of his attention to detail, a little bit of his motivation going into this. He's become a little bit whiny on the radio, a little more frustrated and visibly and emotionally with his team in the fact that he is kind of talking down to them now. Um, I'm not a fan of that. And it's starting to actually cost him more significantly because he has now had two infractions where he's ran somebody off the road in the last two races. You don't, that doesn't just cost you five seconds. It doesn't just cost you 10 seconds. You lose points on your license, right? If Pierre Gasly loses another point, he has to sit out a race. Now for someone like Pierre Gasly, where didn't really, he had a seat with Alpha Tori, but he's making a jump. So once you, every time you make a jump, it's a little risky because you don't know what the success level is going to be there. If he goes to a new team, I think it's middle of March or something where they reset the points. I think there's two or three races in that before the points get reset. If he has a bad start with Alpine and he has to miss a race and they put someone else in there that does very, very well, that's a lot more pressure on you all of a sudden. Yeah. Now you have to perform because the kid they got behind you that got to sit in your seat because you have affected yourself and your license points that so so much that you had to sit out. They can get, they can get rid of you. That's that's a reason to get rid of you. So he has to smarten up. Like I know there's two races left. I know that you are not going to be on this team anymore, and I know that your season has been frustrating, and that Alpha Tori's season has been frustrating altogether. Those last year, he was consistently sixth place in qualifying. That's not been happening this year. He's only outqualified Sonata, I think, 12 times, which is still a lot, but it's not significant. So his frustrations are showing, and he has somebody has to sit him down and go, Hey, kid, smarten up. You got two races left, and then you can leave. You are not out the door yet. Ricardo's out there racing, and he's getting kicked off his team. So you're making the decision to leave. You are the one that has to kind of help us in these last two races. Um, I'm not liking what I'm seeing out of Pierre Gasly. I'm still a Pierre Gasly fan, but he needs to smarten up. This is a learning moment. This is a teachable moment. This is a young kid that needs to start acting more, a little bit like a veteran because he's right at that. He's right at that point where he is starting yeah. to become a young veteran. 
Great point. Um, we can use that to sort of uh, wrap up our coverage here of the actual race before we get to some news and looking forward. But I just wanted to bring one more thing in because there was a question, as I mentioned, uh, we talked on Hattrick last night about sort of Red Bull's success and, and the, the double victories for them. And then we talked about the, the penalty, which we will get to in the second part. Um, but Elliot and I had that conversation and Elliot sent me an email this morning, having looked back through this and he wanted we talked about it already that Max obviously claiming both of those two records, but he asked us a very good question, which is obviously people are talking about the fact that, you know, there were 20, there are 22 races this season. There'll be 23 next year. Um, He's got 14 wins in 20 races. How does that stack up historically? So I went and did a little digging and I found basically what, what, the equivalent of like a win percentage based on actual names to, to give them a historical perspective, right? Because it's hard sometimes in any sport to compare statistics generationally because it's a different game, right? Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan to LeBron, you can't compare them to different games, but you can at least look here in terms of let's, let's call it like levels of dominance over, over competition. Right? So to put it in context, Max Verstappen, again, this season has won 14 races of 20 so far. He's got two more races, but as it sits right now, that's a 70% winning um, percentage. So he, it's very impressive. Obviously, he's won a, well over you know, two-thirds of, of, of all the races this season. Um, that would tie him, percentage-wise, third all-time with Jim Clark, who raced in 1963 and there were only 10 races and he had seven wins. So he also has a 70% Michael Schumacher, who I already mentioned, who also sits with that 13 sits second overall. He won 13 races out of a possible 18 that made him a 72.2. And then Alberto Ascara who raced in 1952 had a, has a 75% win. They only had eight races. He won six of them. It's pretty dominant. Yeah. But a very different, a very different thing, because to be this successful over this many races, it makes a big difference. If Max were to win in Brazil and Abu Dhabi, the best possible uh, winning percentage he could have for the season would 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 still only be seventy two point seven. Um, so it would put him second over second all time in terms of win percentage. But um, as you know. It just puts into context, I guess, historically how dominant a season it has been. And you cannot take that away from him. All the other stuff we said, right. he's a whiner. He's a, he's a complainer. And obviously, he should own a little bit of the fact that he was gifted a championship last season. This championship, 100% his. None of us are going to argue with that. 70% or 72%, however it ends up being in terms of overall wins, very dominant, very impressive. So that's just the historical context of it. Um, and we'll, I guess we'll wait and see how it goes in the last two races for him. Uh, all right, that was the Mexican Grand Prix. Let's move on. Uh, after the break, we'll talk about what's coming up. Hey, Tyler. Yeah? Do you like basketball? Do I? Well, you're going to love this then. The Backyard Basketball Podcast has returned for its second season. Christian Steck and Braden Della Coltman talk hoops every week of the NBA season. No topic from the hard court is off limits. So if you love basketball, then this show is for you. You can subscribe today anywhere you get your podcasts or learn more on our website, OrdinaryPodcasts.com. Okay. Um, we don't need to spend too much time on this specific news story, but we have to talk about it because we haven't had an opportunity to yet. We've talked a lot throughout the last couple of weeks, right from when the news broke, that Red Bull had violated the cost cap. It was obviously going to be a story. We didn't know what the punishment was going to be. Tyler obviously wanted to throw the book at them and have 
the championship overturned from last season. I argued that was never going to happen. It certainly didn't. Uh, but there are definitely two ways to look at what did end up happening. So it was finally determined that Red Bull and Aston Martin had violated the cap as we knew. It turned out that after the full audit was complete, Aston Martin was basically given a slap on the wrist for a clerical discrepancy let's call it uh they argued that they really hadn't overspent so much as their books just weren't quite as tidy as they should be uh and they were punished with a, a, a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine and that was the uh, extent of their penalty red bull on the other hand 2.2 million dollars over the cap of that uh i believe it was 1.7 something um somewhere in that 1.7 1.8 um million dollar range was was um basically a tax credit they could have and failed to apply for that would have negated that 1.8 uh of the 2.2 um that whatever that money was spent on regardless of that could have been could have been written off as a tax credit they didn't do that so it did count against their cap and the other amounts uh, that the remaining 500 and something thousand dollars there ended up being uh overtime pay uh, sick pay and catering. So the argument obviously being, well, that shouldn't affect your race car. But when you're overspending a cap by $2.2 million, that's $2.2 million you did spend on other things that we don't know. Uh, so it did affect their, their results in some capacity. The punishment, a $7 million fine and 10% reduction of their wind tunnel development time in this off season, moving into next season significant maybe harsh i don't know tyler how do you feel um does their seven million dollar fine come out of next year's cost cap no then it is what a what does it matter what well, is it, it cares? costs their ownership uh so, so it's it's it's, it's meant to be a punitive billion penalty. dollars yep who cares yeah they found a quarter on the ground and they gave it away who cares it's a speedy if ticket, it yeah. affected their cost cap next year yeah different story yeah because that's what they cheated at they cheated at their cost cap. So whatever the fine should be should affect next year's cost cap. Yep. I agree. Cares? I, I like, don't these disagree. These guys have so much money that a fine like this for a championship is a laughable. Yeah. So that's how I feel about it. the 10% cut in aerodynamic testing will be a, like, it'll slow them down for a couple of weeks. They estimate, the, the estimation is that it could potentially have as much as a, a, a 250 thousand no 250 hundredths of a second of actual on track uh, effect now that could be a margin of error uh could be a margin of victory for another team for several races i don't know the disadvantage that already exists there for red bull is how having won the championship they already have the limited the most limited amount of time in the simulator or in the wind tunnel i should say and so you're already reducing you're reducing from an already small um, amount of time. So I suppose yeah. in that way, it's a bit more of a severe penalty. Red Bull certainly um, responded to it saying they thought that it was draconian and severe. I think both Mercedes and Ferrari kind of looked at it and I'm sure that their uh, upper management is looking at each other going, I'm sorry, if that's the penalty, then we're willing to do a lot more uh, fancy bookwork next year um, yeah. because I don't believe it's punishment enough to be a deterrent. I mean, this is the precedent setting situation and this is the most it is. I mean, you had all that, you had a laundry list of potential uh, violation pe like penalties that could have been applied to it. And 
that's that's the best you wanted to go with. Now, it's kind of what I predicted would happen. I didn't think that they were going to go after anything more severe. But at the same time, now that it's said and done, I do look at it and go, I don't know if it's going to have the effect that the FIA thinks it is in terms of being a deterrent. I just no, don't. No, because the FIA is run by idiots. It is. This, if this does not affect any of their future cost cap stuff or anything that would stop them from actually putting a race car on the track next year, then who cares? Who cares? Guys would spend, guys would spend $700 million to cheat if they could win. So seven million dollars is nothing. There's nothing. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I think that it's a uh, it's disappointing, and we'll certainly see how, if at all, it affects them. But uh, it it's done now. I guess that's that's where we can. We, all we do know is it's done now. Uh, it is what it is, and it's not going to change. Uh, I guess we. I mean, I assume it won't change now. Who knows what anymore in Formula One. Um, but that's what that is. No new news on the driving front. We still have um, not, we don't know yet whether or not Mick Schumacher or Nico Hulkenberg will sit behind the Haas, uh, the second Haas seat next season. But uh, we may not know that, I think, until the off season at this point. I think Haas is going to wait till the very last possible yeah, second to make that rush. decision. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the FIA. Uh, all right, let's go for it. Floor is yours. Because uh, two weeks ago, or I guess a week ago, at the United States GP in Austin, Alonzo was given a after the race a penalty that caught that had him go from seventh place to fifteenth. Yeah. Now, FIA gave him that penalty and said, "Hey, you're going down to fifteenth. Blah 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 for this reason, this reason, this reason." And yesterday, or I guess today, they. What happened was Alonzo and Alpine um, filed a not a protest. I guess they protested against it. Um, what is the what is the word? I'm a grievance. For? A grievance. Yeah, they I, they protested against it, and it was overturned. So yeah. they get the seventh place spot back. Yeah. When is FIA just gonna like? How you how can you keep making this? Because now Haas can also also Haas had 30 minutes to lodge another complaint to protest against that new decision. Like yeah. <laughs> what, so you, what is going on? If you read the actual documentation of how this played out, it, it, it's even more egregious as far as I'm concerned. Here's how it played out. We have the incident uh where uh Alonzo and Stroll come together. Obviously, uh Alonzo is able to carry on which we praised him for last week, considering the amount yeah. of impact that he suffered with the car, basically pulling a, you know, popping a wheelie, as we used to say as kids, he had two wheels in the air and two on the ground and somehow managed to keep the car, not only on the track, but moving forward. But later on in the race, as we saw his uh, right side mirror, which was loose, flapping in the wind came loose and flew back across the track. The argument or the, the, um original grievance which was filed by Haas was that th that Alpine should have been black and orange flagged they were not and they believed that they were operating an unsafe vehicle for however many laps yeah. before that thing came off based on the fact that Alpine or that Haas has suffered multiple black and orange flags that have cost them points positions yeah you know and, win and we or, talked or about that last week 
We did. Uh, specifically Magnuson, I think, who has had multiple top 10 finishes taken from him based on, on these, these, these judgment calls. Haas argued that that rule was not properly applied, therefore it should be retroactively applied. They were The original decision was made, as you said, to strip him of that seventh place and drop him down to 15th. However, this is where it gets really messy. Alpine didn't challenge the ruling. They challenged when the grievance was filed because Haas did not challenge it within the allotted 30 minutes post-race. They were 45 minutes post-race. Therefore, it's a bit like a mistrial or like a, like, like a, a, like a, not hung jury, but a situation in a courtroom where a procedural rule basically that meant nothing about guilty or innocent here threw it out. It's a technicality. And so once Alpine sort of counter challenged, as you said, they threw it out. They said, no, you're right. This shouldn't have been even uh, addressed by the stewards because it wasn't dealt with in the correct manner, regardless of what the stewards had already said. So they gave him the spot back. And as far as I'm concerned, either the rules matter and they count or they don't. And if we're going to be more strict about the when certain things are filed part of the rule, as opposed to yeah, the safety no part of the rule, yeah. we have ourselves in a backward situation where yeah. we're not looking at, at, at the real the, the whole they, thing. All of this stems from the decision at the end of last year in Abu Dhabi. Ever since that decision happened, they have been afraid to make any decision this entire season. Gasly even said when he had another point deducted from his license this week, they should have told, because like, if he had given the spot back, it wouldn't have been an issue. Exactly. They should have came on and said, give the spot back. Yeah. And talk about waiting too long to make decisions. If you're going to blame Haas for being late on that one, where's the, what's the, what's the statute of limitations on one of these decisions in race, right? Yeah. Like, is it, is it one lap? You have to make a decision as the stewards. Is it two laps? And I know things get flagged by race control and then they're sent to the stewards to be reviewed. But we're talking about like, like every single second counting. And in this case, it certainly did because by the time the ruling was made there, I mean, he and Stroll were at completely different ends of the circuit. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the bearing, the, first off, the, 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 the person for whom the penalty was being assessed to, it was, it was completely ridiculous. But moreover, the quote-unquote victim in the situation, Stroll, had gained no benefit yeah. from from Gasly's penalty, whereas Gasly had gained a benefit from, from committing the violation. So yeah. I agree with you. I think it, 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 if it stems back to that, I guess so. Regardless, it's a problem and it needs it's to be a huge dealt problem. with moving into next season. Letting and- the drivers give the spot because that's what is expected this season by the FIA. It's like, well, that you guys do it. If you un- improperly gain an advantage by running someone off the track or going off the track, it is up to you as a driver to give that spot back. How the fuck are these guys who are fighting for every position on the track out there to determine whether or not they gained it improperly or properly based on only seeing in front of them? Yeah, hundred percent. With mirrors, like he's, I got past him. Gazi said, I got past him. I don't know how legal it was. Like I, I made a decision to to drive that way, get in the corner, and. I, I don't know if, if it was wrong, they should have told me right away and I would have given it back. Yeah. And, and again, you can't, I'm sorry, but like, we can't be expecting these, these drivers to police themselves yeah. no more than we should be. We should be expecting any, any athlete on, on a field, on, on a rink, on a basketball court to police themselves. It's just the NBA is never going to all of a sudden just be like, all right, call your own fouls. 
Yeah, Come no. on, this is ridiculous. It's the ridiculous. whole point of having it now, if it's a if it's a structural uh, failure, if the if there isn't a current like like uh, speed with which the replays are, are are available to these guys or the all of the the necessary angles are available to them fast enough. I mean, I don't know how much faster we can get them to them. I mean, we're talking about like live streamed cameras off of the cars. There's 20 of them split second later. I mean, it's pretty impressive how much content is available. Uh, And so the argument again being if you can't do it this way, and this is the new system that was brought in post Abu Dhabi last year to make this better. I mean, we talked about, you know, all of the structural changes. We had two race directors. We're kind of down to one now, which is fine. But then we were going to have like this VAR room. Where's that? How's that working? How's that changing anything? This is all about speed of decision making. It's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's um let's leave our news section there for a second because we've we've definitely filled this episode with a lot of uh, grievance. But that's fine. Yeah. We're getting near the end of the season. <laughs> we're gonna have a whole winter break off to 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 cool down and and get ready for next year but before we do that we've got two more races and they are fun races uh or at least brazil i enjoy i'm not going to talk about Abu Dhabi yet because we know where that's going but i enjoyed this race last year it was what set us up for uh one of the last couple races that set us up for what ended up being such a dramatic finale lewis needed to start to win he won last year um uh, in this race and this was the beginning of his three race uh, sort of tying it all up at the end of the season this was what probably lewis's most impressive victory last year considering yes. he started in position 10 and just went on an absolute tear um, overtaking uh, huge moves and then obviously the massive overtake of, of max to get the victory at the end this is a fun circuit it's an old circuit um, and as a result of that, like many uh, older circuits, it's got some weird sort of quirks to it. When you look at the circuit, as you look back over last season's race, Tyler, uh, what stands out and what are you looking forward to in Brazil? Well, it's funny because like, if you look at the track, like the map of the track, like this was built in 1938. Yeah. World War II, pre-World like, War II. Yeah. Old, yeah. old track. A lot of banks. It was, it was basically an oval track to begin with. And then they started adding after like, in the sector two, mainly the first sector and the second sector are very much an oval, um, an oval race with two, like one chicane and one 90 degree turn in one and three section two is where they made all the changes. They had to go into the infield and there's a bunch of banking, a bunch of turns. Uh, this was easily what saved, what put Hamilton into the position. You're right. Of, of last year of still being able to have a fight for the championship unbelievable race we're doing it again with the sprint qualifying so it's friday qualifying saturday sprint qual sprint uh, sprint race and then sunday is the grand prix so i'm very much looking forward to this race i love brazil last year um and i think that this could be just as exciting as well i hope mercedes wins this race i very much hope mercedes wins this race again and i think that i think they'll have confidence going into it just knowing what happened last year and and just kind of like, maybe we can do it because they have two races left. I know they want to win one of these next two races. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the sprint part. That's going to be a huge part of next week. And, and uh, it, it has the potential, although I ha- I don't believe actually maybe Brazil last year was kind of the, the, the exception to what I'm about to say, but I don't believe yet that the sprint has truly done what it's 
intended goal was, which was to really shake up how qualifying results came out. It does sometimes lead to opportunities for guys further down the table to get up into positions they might not in the traditional qualifying. I'm thinking of a guy like Ricardo or Alonso who have some good pace on qualifying weekends, but don't necessarily do a great job when they're out there alone. Um, but when you're put in a race environment for a, an abbreviated period of time, they, they have opportunities to jump up there and do some things with it. Um, I agree with you. I'd love to see Mercedes do well. They obviously have good pace. We saw that last week, but will that pace be diminished a little bit based on the fact that we've come back down from that high altitude, thinner air. Uh, this feels a little bit more like we might see kind of the same pace they had in Austin, but as you say, there's some banked corners and they have experience here. They loved it last year, bought us on pole last season. And then obviously Hamilton managing an uh, just a beautiful race to, to just overtake everybody, um, chase Max down and, and get the victory. So I, it's their last real chance, to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. the way that Abu Dhabi is laid out, it does just not favor this year's Mercedes. It's too, too many high speed corners leading into slow speed corners it's just not what they're good at it's not what they're going to have a good opportunity for so if they want to get off of sort of that the get that zero off the board and get one victory under their belts it's going to have to happen here in brazil they'll be putting everything out there on the table if i was uh, in the strategy meetings i'd be saying maybe mix it up try one guy on one strategy and one on the other just saying uh yeah i mean that is the smart move to do especially now that they they should be doing it for both these races uh i i I don't know. I think, I think I agree with you with the sprint races. Unless someone in the top five crashes, the top five is going to stay usually what it is during qualifying, and then it's the rest of the guys that have more weight Benefit, yeah. to try to like make risks. Yeah. But that's the only thing is that the guys in the top five aren't going to take risks. Now, that being said, this could be a great opportunity for a Mercedes car in the top five in qualifying to take a risk in the sprint race and put your elbows out because you got nothing to lose. You want to win a race. This could be it because also you got to think that Verstappen um, and Ferrari have kind of, their seasons are decided. Like yeah, Rebels, see, and I made that the records. Our... They got yeah, everything. We... Ferrari's screwed. They're terrible. This is, a for... this is a very forgetful season for them. They do not want to remember this next year, but Mercedes yeah. still wants to get at least one win. So elbows yeah. out in that sprint race, try to get yourself on pole. I think you're right. I did have this conversation too with Tyler last night, or pardon me, with Elliot last night, because he asked the same question. He's like, well, what does it matter anymore? Why would the top teams even be fighting? And the argument is, yes, it's hard to say there's much to fight for for Red Bull other than uh, pride. And moreover, the fact that you you now hold a a record that's going to be very hard to beat to begin with, but you have an opportunity to put it kind of out of reach. If you can win two more, that's huge. I'm not saying they shouldn't fight. I'm saying that they they are going to be more conservative in the sprint sure. race because they do not want to crash and go to 20th place. Maybe it depends on those personalities. And I don't know if Max Verstappen is a particularly conservative driver to begin with. Uh, I will say Ferrari does have something to fight for. And I do think that they're going to have to take some risks considering how badly they've been doing if they intend to finish second. And I do think that that matters to Ferrari because considering how much of an absolute disaster this season has been for them, I think they kind of have to be able to go back to Italy at the end of the season with something. And it has to at least say, look, we didn't just fold up our tents and and call it a day after, you know, Japan, we had to still see some fight left in those guys. And and if we don't here in, in, in uh, Brazil, then it's, it's, then it is over. They're going to have moved on and, and Mercedes will 
will catch them because Mercedes has just been, although they haven't been able to get those wins, they've been more consistent um, in the, in the second half of the season. And I, I, Again, we'll see. I love the idea. I do. I, I I definitely am an advocate for what you're saying. I'd love to but see all, Mercedes be the throw it all at the wall kind of kind of thing. All Ferrari needs to do to finish second place so is just finish both cars in the points. Sure. So so elbows well, out during maybe. the sprint race yeah, is more more problematic than just being top six for the next two races. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. I'm just trying to make it more dramatic. Well, then find the drama with McLaren and Alpine. Find the yeah. drama with Alpha Moreo versus yeah, right. Alpha right. Romeo versus Aston Martin and Haas versus Alpha Tori. Like that's where the drama is. You're right. You're absolutely right. Look, uh, lots to get excited for in Brazil. Um, we missed one piece of news. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Let me just get your initial thoughts. We learned this week too that Audi will take over for Alfa Romeo as sort of the, the brand part of the Sauber race team. Um, it will actually be kind of weird because we'll have a transition period. So Alfa Romeo will race next season and then they will no longer be Alfa Romeo. They will go back to being just Sauber for two seasons and then we'll get the Audi brand officially on an F1 car. So we knew that Audi and Porsche, both Volkswagen uh, brands, were looking to get into F1. Audi gets there first. Whether or not Porsche gets there, we will see. But it'll be exciting to see how that um, changes things because it will introduce another power unit supplier. They've been approved to develop a power unit for the new regulations that will come in in 2025. So Audi will be a new provider of engines. They could sell those to other teams and all of that. So it's just exciting to see F1 continues to grow and change and move forward. We have two races left, Brazil next weekend. Uh, and then uh, a couple of weeks, we'll be in Dubai. Thanks, Tyler. A lot of fun again this week. We got through a lot of it. I want you to go and uh, relax. Take take a few days off here to recuperate because we'll be right back at it uh, in, in two weeks' time in Brazil. That's the Pit Stop Podcast. Pitstop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.